Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. Let's dive in. Well, we've been continuing in this message series about finding peace amidst some some areas that really tend to rob us of that peace. And so in part one, we talk about unmet expectations. Many of you are stuck between where you were and where you want, but God has something special for you in this season right now if we'll put our plans in his hands. And then in part two, we talked about unresolved conflict. Arguably, the greatest thief of joy is when you have a conflict that has not been dealt with. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You won't find joy, and you won't find peace until that's taken care of. Next week, we're going to wrap up the series by talking about unpaid bills. Is there anything that takes our peace more than the stress of finances? We're going to hit that up next week. But as for today, we're going to talk about unfair comparison. How many of us have added unnecessary pain to our lives because we're too busy comparing ourselves to other people. Many of you learned how to make unfair comparisons as a child. Perhaps you had a parent or a caretaker who used to say things to you like, why can't you just be like your brother? Or it wasn't a problem for your sister. Why is it so hard for you? Some of you may be making comparisons in your small group. Maybe there's people in your, in your group who brag about their kids or their grandkids or their spouse, and maybe you don't have children, or maybe the children you do have, you don't like very much. Uh, maybe you are unmarried and you feel left out of the conversation, and so you're comparing yourself to others and asking yourself, where did I go so wrong? Some of you, this Thursday, will reconnect with some old family members, and one of them is going to pull into your driveway in a shiny new car, and they're going to park it right next to your clunker that's literally held together by duct tape. And you're going to instantly start comparing yourself and asking, why am I not more successful than I am right now? Friends, comparison is a trap. It's a trap that's set by insecurity, jealousy, and discontent. And if you get ensnared in this trap, you can kiss peace goodbye. So how can we experience peace instead of the unrest that comes from constantly measuring ourselves against others? That is the question of the morning. And so once again, we are going to look to the guidance of God's Word. So if you have a Bible, you could turn in your Bible or turn on your Bible to the Old Testament book of Proverbs chapter 4. The book of Proverbs is a collection of wise sayings uh, most people believe was written by the uh, ancient Israelite King Solomon. And so Proverbs chapter 4 is where we're going to be. Let's start with verse 23. Follow along with me if you could. It says, guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. When the Bible talks about the heart, it's, it's a metaphor. It's not just the organ beating in your chest. It's a, it's a metaphor for your soul the command center of your emotions, your thoughts, your decision-making. 
And the imagery used here of guarding this heart is the same imagery uh, that ancient cities used to do when they would guard their uh, people against marauders. And so typically there was one way in and one way out. And that, that major gate was either made out of iron or maybe it was a drawbridge. And so to, to keep the people safe, they had to be extra discerning as to who they allowed to come into the city. Because if the, if the city is breached, there are massive casualties. And the same is true with your heart. This is the source of life. You have to be extra discerning who you let in, what you let in, because if the walls of your heart are breached, there are going to be casualties. And so we are commanded to guard it above all else. Guard your souls. How do you do that? He continues. Verse 25. Let your eyes look forward. Fix your gaze ahead. What does he mean by that? He gives a little more context. Verse 26. Carefully consider the path for your feet, and all your ways will be established. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Keep your feet away from evil. Why are you supposed to be moving straight and not going to the right or to the left? That's where everybody else is. And when we're looking around trying to figure out what everybody else is doing, that's when we get ourselves in trouble. Because when we're comparing to others, the the first problem we have is that we're comparing to the wrong standard. It's it's a similar sentiment that, that the writer of Hebrews had when he said this in Hebrews 12. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's the standard, not to the right or to the left, but looking at Jesus, who he is, what he has done, what he's going to do, what his word commands, what his promises offer, the the faithfulness, the reward of faithfulness. These are the things we have to keep our eyes fixed on. The problem is we go turning to the right and to the left, and we begin comparing ourselves against the wrong standard. I see comparison play out most commonly in one of two ways, comparing up or comparing down. Comparing up is when we measure ourselves against people that seem to be better off than us. Comparing down is when we measure ourselves against people who seem to be worse off than us. And so for for many women, they tend to compare themselves up to other women. I'm not as pretty as she is. I don't have as nice of a body as she does. I'm not as young. I'm not as cool. I'm not as confident. Those are the wrong standards. Those are not the standards dictated by God's word. Why are we comparing ourselves to those? Many men tend to compare themselves up to the success of others. This person has a better job than me. This person makes more money than me. They have a nicer house, a nicer car. Their television is 98 inches wide. Mine is only 85. How am I supposed to watch anything on this, you know? Wrong standard. That's not the standard of God. It's the standard established by the world. We're looking to the right and to the left. You know, in the Apostle Paul's day, he was constantly being compared to to other preachers in his time, and his speaking ability constantly criticized. But but Paul didn't take the bait. Listen to what he said in 2 Corinthians 10, 12. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. 
when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. Comparison is not wise because it's often comparing to the wrong standard. It's often not wise also because we have such limited information with the people we compare ourselves to. We take the totality of our lives and compare it with the little shred people make visible. And social media plays into this massively. Now, social media can be very helpful in many ways, but it also can be harmful in others. And there's a growing body of evidence that the rise in anxiety in our country perfectly correlates with the rise of social media. In fact, just this past week, I was reading in a journal of psychology a study done on the social media use of people around the globe. And 10 years ago, uh, it said that people use various social media tools for about 95 minutes per day. As of this past August, that number has jumped up to 151 minutes per day with a, a continual climb happening over the course of a decade. And those are global stats. It's probably much higher in Western nations. And so what this means is that the average person on the planet Earth every single day for two and a half hours is being barraged with images and videos and posts, some of which include things like photos of the event you never got invited to or carefully curated list of experiences that people make visible or an ever-changing set of trends that we can never quite catch up to. I don't care who you are. That kind of exposure uh, over time is going to make you prone to comparison. Two and a half hours every day and every time you click the link or like or comment the almighty algorithm feeds you more of that exact same kind of content so you think that this is what everybody is talking about. And that fuels comparison. This is one of the many reasons why I got away from social media three years ago. I completely quit. Part of it was it wasn't good for my mental health. I jump on Instagram and you know, I follow a lot of churches and I would instantly start comparing myself to them. Oh, look at that church. Their building is so much cooler. They do so many more things. The people there seem you know, more excited about God. They have a better worship band. Their pastors are so much better preachers. I'm sitting here, instead of looking and, at the flock God has entrusted me with, I'm comparing myself against the flock that God entrusted somebody else with. And it wasn't good for my mental health. And some of you are in the same place. Your, your, your mental health is, is being taxed, but you keep feeding the beast. This is why the writer of Proverbs said, guard your heart above all else because it's the source of life. What are we allowing in? And so we compare ourselves up, but we also compare ourselves down. We measure ourselves against people we think are worse off than us. When we compare ourselves down, we almost always use the phrase, at least. For example... Yeah, okay, I went to county jail, but at least I didn't go to federal prison. <laughs> I went to federal prison, but at least I didn't get a life sentence. Okay, I got a life sentence, but at least I'm not on death row. I'm on death row, but at least I haven't died yet. 
I got a lethal injection, at least I didn't get the chair. You know, there's, there's always someone worse that you can compare yourselves to. And we often do this to justify bad behavior. But there's another aspect of comparing down that I see much more prevalence, certainly among Christians. And that's when we, we write this narrative about the person we're comparing ourselves to that's bad that, that we can compare ourselves down to. that makes us feel better. Let me give you an example. Family you know just returned from vacationing in the islands for two weeks, but your family can barely afford to get away for a night and stay in a Motel 6. So you start writing the whole story about them. Well, you know, a vacation like that is really expensive. They probably had to go into debt just to have that time. And so, yeah, they might have had fun, but for years they're going to be up to their necks in credit card interest payments. I can't imagine the stress that's going to cause on their marriage. They're probably going to get divorced, then their kids are going to hate them. Hey, I hope your vacation was great. I'd rather be debt-free and have my family intact than have what you have. You see the comparison? That stuff isn't even true. And yet, this is what we start to tell ourselves to make ourselves feel better. And that's just as destructive. The Apostle Paul warned us against this. He said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Writing a story about a person is a form of malice. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another. Comparison is a trap, whether we're comparing up or comparing down. We know it's not good for us, yet we continue to do it. Some of us don't even realize that we're doing it. So how do we stop? Friends, at some point, we've got to start taking some intentional steps toward gaining victory and progress in this area of our lives. We have to start conquering comparison. So I want to give you a couple of practical steps from God's Word of how I think we can make some progress with this area of our lives. And so if you're taking notes, jot this down. Here's the first one. Number one, identify your insecurity. At the heart of every comparison is something we're insecure about. And if you could pinpoint what that is, you could attack comparison at its core. You know, arguably the most insecure person in the entire Bible was a king by the name of Saul. The Old Testament book of 1 Samuel chronicles his ascension to the throne. And his ascension itself was characterized by comparison. Here's how it all started. This is 1 Samuel 8, verse 4. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel, the prophet, at Ramah. They said to him, you're old, your sons don't follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. See it? What are they doing? They're turning to the right and to the left. Essentially what they're asking is, we want what everybody else has. Why can't we have it? You see, God was their king. But when they compared themselves to the nations around them, they saw everybody else had a man as their king. And so they demanded the same thing. And sometimes the worst thing God can do for us is to give us what we want. And so he instructed the prophet Samuel to anoint Saul. And on the very day of Saul's coronation, we once again saw a comparison. This is 1 Samuel 10, 23. They ran and brought him out. And as he stood among the people... 
He was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. Even the prophet got caught up in comparison. It's like, hey, look at Saul. He's taller than everybody else. It's funny because even today, we still think that taller people make better leaders. If you don't believe me, just look at the past history of U.S. presidents. Close to 70% of them were taller. In fact, just this past week, one of the Republican presidential nominees made headlines because he was accused of wearing cowboy boots that boosted his height several inches. Why? Because taller people make greater leaders. Joe Biden, six foot tall. Donald Trump, six foot three. Barack Obama, six foot two. We, we care so much about height. And here's Saul. Look how tall he is, which is ironic because one of the greatest threats to his kingdom was a Philistine giant named Goliath who was nine feet tall. He's now the tallest guy, nine feet. I mean, that's unfathomable. But you know what? It's not unprecedented. Do you know that the tallest person recorded in the modern era was an American by the name of Robert Madlow? Eight foot 11. Guy lived in Chicago, Illinois. In fact, he was so tall that professional NBA basketball player Shaquille O'Neal took a picture next to a lifelike statue of him Looks like a little kid. Shaq is 7'1". Uh, that's just how tall this guy is. And so in 1 Samuel, you have Goliath, the Philistine champion, nine feet tall, taller than tall King Saul, which is funny because the, nobody wanted to face Goliath except for the shortest guy in the battlefield, some kid named David. And David takes a stone and a, and a sling, and he knocks the giant out and then kills him. And that moment catapulted David into celebrity status. So naturally, King Saul tried to kill David. He conspired within his own government to have David killed. He tried putting David on the battlefield, hoping he would be struck down. He even tried to stab David with his own spear. Now, what would drive a person to try to kill one of his own people like this? This wasn't even the enemy. He spent countless financial resources, countless military resources, countless hours chasing David through the wilderness. What was it that drove Saul to this kind of behavior? Comparison. Comparison that was fueled by a very specific insecurity. And we actually have in Scripture the pinpointed moment of where that insecurity came. 1 Samuel 18.6, when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine... The women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Now watch this. Here it is. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They've credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? See the comparison? This was the, the insecurity in here was Saul was insecure that David was more popular. That insecurity led to irrational fear. I'm going to lose my crown. That irrational fear gave way to tragically bad choices that ultimately resulted in Saul losing the throne. Very important that you and I, 
identify the insecurity that drives our comparison. So what is it for you? For so many people, it's physical. I'm too fat, I'm too skinny, I'm too tall, I'm too short. Some of you stand in front of a mirror and you criticize yourself left and right. I don't like my nose, I don't like my teeth, I don't like my hair. My elbows are so wrinkly. (laughs) Identify that insecurity. Be honest with yourself. Call it out and lay it out before the Lord in prayer. Just be honest. God, I'm insecure about my weight. God, I'm insecure about my lack of education. I'm insecure about my family. I'm insecure about my income. I'm insecure about my lowly job. Lay it before him and ask him for the strength to either correct it or be content with it. But if we can identify that insecurity, that will go a long way towards conquering comparison because now we know what it is that gets triggered in every one of those comparisons. So knowing where it comes from is the start, but the next step is to take action. So one, identify your insecurity. Here's the second one. Number two, express your encouragement. A powerful way to fight against comparison is when you put to words the encouragement of others. Literally vocalize your praise. This has proven to be a very effective strategy for me And I want to share with you a verse that was so important in my life as I worked through these kinds of comparison issues. It's Romans 12, 15. And Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. So simple to understand and yet so difficult to actually live. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. When we compare ourselves to others, we do almost the exact opposite of this. We rejoice when others mourn. Hey, that person I'm comparing myself to, it makes me feel better to know that life isn't so good. Or we mourn when others rejoice. They got what I want, and that makes me bitter. This is something we probably all can relate with on some level. For me... Kate and I have been married for 21 years, and we learned very early on in our marriage that we'd be unable to conceive children by natural means. We were devastated. Infertility was a gut punch. Our our, our vision of what our family might be was, was now thrown for a loop. And for a long time, we mourned. And what started to take place was a bitterness because we were comparing ourselves. We would compare ourselves to hypothetical situations, Like, why is it that a a teenage girl who makes a bad choice with her boyfriend in the backseat of a car could get pregnant, but a married Christian couple serving the Lord in ministry couldn't? And that triggered that insecurity and led to bitterness. Anytime even our our own friends would, would joyously announce their pregnancy, it triggered that insecurity. What's wrong with us? Why can't we have this? We are bitter. You know, and, and even people who didn't know our situation, who would joke around with us, hey, when are you guys going to have kids? Come on, the clock is ticking. It would trigger that insecurity. And we would spiral in anger and bitterness. 
And we had to come to a point where, where we discovered Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And we had to decide, are we going to follow the Bible or not? And we came to this conclusion of, of, of having to decide we are actually in control of our own emotions. Do you know that's true about you too? You are not a slave to negativity. You are not a slave to impulsivity. You are not a slave to apathy. You could actually make the choice to celebrate others when they win and empathize with others when they don't. Everyone else doesn't have to lose in order for you to win. And we had to arrive at that point and realize, hey, people, they have their own story. God has something for us. And whenever we discover what that is, we want others to rejoice with us. And we would later discover that that story was adoption, one of the greatest blessings of my entire life. But before we ever arrived at that point, we decided that we are going to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And one of the ways to put this into action is to verbally express your encouragement. And so for us in those times, we would say things to, for example, to, to, to people who were, were getting pregnant, hey, we are so excited for you and genuinely meant it. And we would say things like, you're going to make amazing parents. Let us know how we can support you in this journey. And the more we did this, a funny thing began to occur. Our hearts began to wriggle free from the comparison trap. And we started to experience peace again. You ought to try it for yourself. Don't just think about it. Actually put it to words. Express your encouragement and see what happens. Number one, identify your insecurity. Number two, express your encouragement. Here's the third thing. Recognize your riches. Another way people say this sometimes is count your blessings. Friends, gratitude can be a powerful antidote to comparison. You know, I want to read a, a section of scripture that kind of landed on me fresh this past week. It's all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. Did you know that the very first Temptation in the Bible was one of comparison. You know, throughout Scripture, Satan is described as a liar, an accuser, and a thief. And one of the things that he loves to do is to get you to disregard all that you have and focus only on what you lack. This was his strategy from the beginning. Let's take a look at it. Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Comparison. So Adam and Eve lived in perfect harmony with God. No sin, no shame, freedom for every tree but one. And along comes this, the, the, the enemy and begins convincing them, oh, you're missing out. Can't you just hear the sales pitch? Adam and Eve, do you really want to spend the rest of your life in this little backyard that some call a garden? I mean, you've got your nice animals and your, your little trees. It's a good starter home. But you could have so much more. 
you could actually have what God has. That's the reason he's not telling you about it. He doesn't want to share it with you. And so look, if you want to live a life of mediocrity, uh, that's fine. Don't listen to anything I say. But understand this. The only thing standing between your boring little life and an exciting new life is that fruit. Take a bite. And unfortunately for all of humanity, Adam and Eve did so. And we've been paying the price ever since. He actually convinced them that the life they had was not enough. There was something more. This past week, somebody sent me this cartoon of this guy who's driving in his car, and he's sort of fantasizing about having a newer, shinier one. And so he's thinking to himself, what I would give for a new one. Then a guy rides by on his bike, looks at the man driving and says, oh, what I would give for a car. And another person comes walking by and sees the man riding and says, what I would give for a bike. And then a person in a wheelchair comes rolling up and they see a person standing and they say, oh, what I would give to walk. There is always someone else who has something that you want. There's always a nicer model, always a something shinier, another upgrade, a better version. And one of the traps the enemy sets in comparison is convincing us that if I could just have that, then I'm good. Proverbs 27.20 says, Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. We will not have peace if we keep comparing what God has given us to what God has given somebody else. And understand that every single one of us has been richly blessed in some way or another. The question is, do we recognize it? This Thanksgiving, you will face endless temptations to compare yourself with others. Maybe you are the host for the family meal this year, and you're already comparing yourselves to other family members. My house just isn't as big. Recognize your riches. You got a house? Praise God. The housing market in California is a nightmare, and you got one. Some of you are going to be eating a meal on Thursday. You're going to start comparing foods. Well, this recipe isn't as good as my mother's. Okay, so that piece of pie might have, not have the same color or texture or flavor that you prefer. But recognize your riches. You're eating. You know that every week at our, at our Peace Center, we help supply food to families in need. It's not even enough to carry them over, but just some to ease the suffering. And many of them are back the very next week to get some more because of how tight finances are. Friends, recognize your riches. Comparing recipes is a luxury. There's going to be some of you on Thursday who are going to look at the people sitting around the Thanksgiving table, and all you're going to fixate on is all of the people who are not there. Recognize your riches. Who are the people who are at your table? Who has God given you in your life now? Friends, we're never going to find peace if we're constantly comparing ourselves to others and disregarding what we already have. And if you've placed your faith in Jesus, your blessings are off the chart. 
Listen to how the Apostle Paul said it in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, you're not going to have every physical blessing, but literally every spiritual blessing is found in Jesus. Adoption into his family, forgiveness of sins, the power of a spirit in you, the, the guarantee of eternity with Christ. Let's recognize those riches. That's where true peace comes from. Not in all the stuff and all the standards and all the people that we're comparing ourselves as we look to the right and to the left. That's where true peace comes. You're never going to find it searching anywhere else. It's only through faith in Jesus. Do you have that kind of peace today? Have you ever intentionally placed your faith in Jesus? Now, I'm not talking about tossing a few prayers up to the man upstairs or praying that God will help you find your missing keys. I'm talking about intentionally inviting Jesus to sit on the throne of your life, of simply admitting your sins before him, telling him that you need him, that you trust him, that you believe in faith he died in your place, and committing to following him. If you've never intentionally prayed a prayer like this, I want to help you do that today. In just a moment, I'll give you some words that you could repeat after me in the silence of your heart. But listen, these are just hollow words if you don't believe them in faith. But I'm, I'm thinking there's somebody in here today or watching online who's been so wrestling with uneasiness and there's something in their spirit that's missing. I'm telling you right now, that is a relationship with Jesus Christ, the only way to peace with God. So now's the time. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, I want to invite everybody to close your eyes, bow your heads, take a deep breath, think about your life. I want you to repeat these words after me in the silence of your heart. Jesus, I place my faith in you. Jesus, I place my faith in you. I can't save myself. I need a savior. Jesus, I believe you died in my place. Will you forgive me of my many sins? Will you come into my life? Change me. Rearrange me. And help me live a new life that honors you. I desire peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, if you're somebody who prayed that prayer for the first time today, I want to encourage you to let somebody know this is something exciting. You don't need to be in this alone. Here's an easy way to do it. On the program you received when you came in, there's... There's a little perforated card that separates, and at the bottom is a box that says, I said yes, I prayed to receive Christ today. You can fill that out in just a second. Ushers are going to collect today's offering. You could just drop that card in there, and somebody from our team will follow up and just help, help you walk in this new decision, celebrate with you, equip you, help you get going. Maybe you've already prayed to receive Christ, but you want to grow. You want to take that next step. Here's a simple way to do it. You grab your phone right now and text the word next to 909-281-7797. One of our Sunrise staff members will exchange a few messages with you and customize a plan for what that looks like. 
whether that's joining a group or maybe serving or just you need somebody to talk to, you need assistance of some kind, text NEXT to 909-281-7797. Or we have a table right here in our lobby with a big sign above it that says NEXT, and you could have a conversation face-to-face with somebody uh, about what that might look like today. As for next week, we're going to wrap up this message series by talking about how to find peace amidst the stress that comes from finances. Are you sweating bullets as you look at your bank account and wondering how you're going to host parties and buy Christmas gifts and still pay the bills? If that's the case, you are not going to want to miss next week. Invite somebody to come with you and experience this together. Until then, it's time that we start conquering comparison. Let's identify your insecurity. Attack comparison as core. Let's express encouragement. Let's vocalize praise and rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And let's recognize your riches, especially those found in Jesus Christ. Friends, we have to guard our hearts. We have to keep our eyes fixed forward, not turning to the right or to the left. It's time we bid farewell to comparison and believe that through Jesus, peace is possible. You believe it? Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for not leaving us to our own devices, not abandoning us, but sending Jesus to save us, sending Jesus to show us a new way, a better way, a way that leads to peace, freedom, new life. Father, I I pray if there's anybody in here who has never trusted you, that they would not leave this place today without doing so. Lord, for the rest of us who struggle with comparison, Father, today will you help us put a stake in the ground and say, we're not going to keep doing this anymore. Lord, help give us the the self-control to see the many blessings you've already given us and to actively fight against it with our words and with our actions. Lord, may we judge ourselves against you, Lord, and realize that getting into heaven isn't about measuring up to other people, but realizing that none of us will ever measure up. That's why we need you. We thank you, Jesus. And as we prepare to give these tithes and offerings, I pray that you would take our gifts and multiply them and use them to... to impact our city, our nation, our world. We thank you. We love you. We need you. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And if you believe it in your heart, then let the church say, amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.